We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. This episode is the big interview that we did alongside North American Irish coaches with Jim McGuinness. What a pathway this is. Legendary GAA coach leading Donegal to All-Ireland's success against all the odds. Then moved over to soccer, working with the Celtic Academy and then the U-20s. And then moved to Beijing with Roger Schmidt. Some amazing insight on this. Uh, unbelievable story, great perspective on training intensity, leadership styles and culture of course and then some great questions from the audience we had uh, towards the end of this as well. So really excited to hear your thoughts on this, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Some big news this week also, the Modern Soccer Coach Mentorship Program is back. I'll be doing an intensive four-week course for a group of coaches in June. We'll work through building a coaching philosophy, the game model, aligning your model with an analysis system, and then establishing that culture, the environment, and everything surrounding that there. So every week we're going to have a one-hour webinar, and then the coaches will have an assignment that we'll do, look over, give feedback will be challenging hopefully but then also great fun as well so we opened it up this morning we've got limited spots we've had five people sign up already inside a couple hours because they were on the wait list of modern soccer coach mentorship opportunities so they've grabbed it right away if you want to go and reserve your spot go into modernsoccercoach.com slash shop and you can go and find out more information thank you and here is jim enjoy Thanks for joining us today, Jim. Really, really excited. We'll uh, we'll get started with the job at Donegal was a was a very difficult one in terms of changing the culture, and from reading about it, it was also very difficult to actually get the job. How did you how did you meet and overcome both of those challenges? It was as I always say. The, I went for the job three times. I didn't get it the first time. I didn't get it the second time. Uh, the third time, I was the only person in for it, and uh, I still wasn't guaranteed getting it. <laughs> there, there, it wasn't straightforward. Let's put it like that. But um, when I did get it, I was I was happy to get it. I suppose the twenty ones. I had the year with the twenty ones before that, and we had a successful year, and that that sort of helped me case uh, in terms of moving forward. The culture piece, then, because you had a changing room that. In the documentary, it looked as if they were on their knees whenever you took over. How did you turn around so quickly? I well, I mean, I suppose in many respects, I kind of soldiered with a lot of those players and and was part of those um, those bad days and down days. Um, there was a number of times when we got to Ulster Championship finals and stuff, and um, and we sort of imploded rather than just just losing them narrowly and stuff. Um, and so there was a lot of baggage in that regard, and you know. Going into the job, I kind of felt that the big thing for the group was to try and win Ulster, and I felt that myself because 
if you could do that, then that sort of creates a new platform for you. If you get comfortable on that platform and you get the label of Ulster champions, you know, it becomes a different thing. And I've seen that many, many years um, previously, you know, teams that, that, that weren't expected to do a lot and then they go down the road as Ulster champions and all of a sudden they're playing a level or two above themselves. So that was the big one, was to try and make sure that we could sort of raise levels, get the the team moving um, forward progressively as quickly as possible. And I suppose it did impact in a way in terms of how we approached the training initially, how we approached the mentality that we wanted to build and how it approached the game plan because we couldn't have a situation where, you know, we were sort of known for this very flamboyant team, um, you know, that could sort of put anybody to the sword on a given day. But when, when it came down to the nuts and bolts of it, um, you know, we normally didn't turn up on the big, big days. And so the capacity to stop the hemorrhaging and stop, you know, big goals being conceded in big games or several big goals in big games uh, became very important in the initial stages of it. And so we wanted to sort of almost protect them psychologically with a system that was going to make sure we were going to be very hard to beat them. We still obviously knew that we had good players going forward. And if we could get a, a, a philosophy and a style and play embedded over a period of time to be able to develop that, that's what the, that's what the objectives were. You set the bar really, really high coming in. Again, reading about it, says you, you looked everyone in the eye and, and gave them a goal. Is there a danger or a risk of, of putting the fear of God into some people from doing that there? Or, or do you then build upon that when you get onto the training pitch and just set the standards mentally as well? Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, players are, are very, very intelligent. They know exactly what's going on. And if you're going to set a bar, you know, you need to know that, you know, that you've got people with you. You need to know that, you know, that it's achievable uh, deep down in your heart. But that doesn't mean that uh, they feel it's achievable in that moment. Uh, and that's probably where we are. We were at that particular time. We felt that we had a, a good group of players and we needed to get traction. We needed to develop intensity. We needed to become more robust. We needed to um, sort of express ourselves in the process of doing that. And then through all of those things, um, try and become more and more competitive and then sort of start looking these bigger teams uh, in the eye uh, consistently. And then that gives you a chance then to, to, you know, to create a platform for yourself nationally. And if you don't get all those things right, then, you know, um, players are very quick to understand that. And so the, the most important thing of all is training. There's, there's no getting away from it. It's, it's all about training. It's all about what you do in the pitch. And it's all about sort of the, the character and the intensity that you, you develop on the pitch that brings, um, brings everything together in the competitive advantage. Yeah, let's talk about that, that training intensity. Um, was it Tuesday or Wednesday when we were chatting? You talked about how coaches, everyone values it, everyone's aware of this intensity, but a lot of people, a lot of coaches don't know how to coach with intensity or coach intensity. How do you do it? Yeah, I think I think most coaches will understand, you know, sort of, I, I just don't think sometimes that um, it's almost like, You've got, in soccer particularly, you've got these philosophies and style of play and people will sort of say, you know, I'm a 4-3-3 guy, you know, I'm a pressing team, you know, I'm whatever it is, and, and sort of pigeonhole themselves in some regards. And, and then so the other thing then is sort of to, to play the game. Um, and if you look at Dublin, say, for example, and Kerry traditionally in the Gaelic, you know, uh, Barcelona and the soccer, they are teams that sort of want the ball, can use the ball, huge amount of offensive players on the pitch. And, and so they're sort of creative, innovative and, and sort of attacking minded team, constantly attacking minded team. Um, and then you have other teams like 
really interesting for me is this whole development with Jurgen Klopp because I feel that he is, you know, obviously in his early days, he brought that what he called the heavy metal football to German football. Uh, and sort of, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of that sort of uh, football in Beijing with Roger Schmidt. Um, and sort of, uh, and he's, but he's sort of molded that and developed that, you know, and um, he hasn't lost his own principles, but he's also become uh, a possession-based coach with this Liverpool team at the minute. And you'd have to say the balance that they can achieve at the minute between, you know, phenomenal intensity and how they press the game and looking to do things in, in, the, in the opposition's half um, is very, very impressive. But when they need to get on the ball and, and develop the play from the back and through the middle of the park, they're they're absolutely superb as well. So they seem to have found this mixture between quality football and the physical attributes that go with that. And I think it's a great thing for the world, to be honest with you, because you know young players look up to the best in the world, and, and they're the European champions now. You know they're. They're the most valued squad in the world. I've just read that in the last couple of days um, financially. And he has he's sort of created that. I mean, that wasn't the case with the same players three or four years ago. And so it's great for, for people that are working with younger players and youth players to be able to say, you know, look at this guy and look at the qualities that he has, but also look at how hard he works for the team. And so it's all a matter of philosophy and it's all a matter of how you see the game, how you perceive the game. And then that will reflect down on how you want to train the team to develop it. And then, you know, the human body is an amazing thing. And, you know, once you get used to a level of training, you know, your body gets accustomed to that and you sort of create this space where everybody's comfortable in. And and the initial stages of that are very, very hard. And going back to the Donegal situation, on our very, very first day, we had a very simple exercise, you know, two cones, 15 metres apart, a fist pass and drill, but I asked them to do it with maximal intensity. And the first time we did it, you know, I stopped the drill after 15 seconds, pulled them back in, where are we at, you know, and it was like 60, 65%, put them back out, you know, did it again, maybe 75, brought them back in again, it became 85. And so we were sort of training them for feel and training them for the understanding of what uh, intensity levels are. And at the very end of it all, I just said, listen, you know, what, what are we afraid of here? What's the worst can happen here? You know, just release, just let yourself go, take it out on the ball, you know, get your timing right, you know, explode onto the ball, try and control it at full speed. And I think that's a part of the problem. People are afraid if they're working with intensity and, and technical drills that the quality goes down. But the reality is the more you do it and the more you get used to it, you know, the less the mistakes happen. So then when you get into a game situation, you know, you're better placed to be able to deal with really high intensity level matches because you're used to it in training. And when we did that drill for the very last time, after one minute of exercise, there was probably two thirds of the team, maybe more, lying on the ground. They were absolutely shattered. It was one minute of work. And so, but I thought it was really, really important for us to sort of put it into their minds, A, that you've got to throw the shackles off because we were carrying that baggage that you spoke about earlier, uh, to throw the shackles off, but also to, to sort of create in their mind that there's something that we want to achieve here on a consistent basis. And this is what it looks like and this is what it feels like. And it's really, really, really hard. But if we get a grip of that and we sort of try to master that over a period of time, we can look any team in the eye and say, we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you and we can take you. And that's why we won most of our games in the third quarter because we knew that when the other teams got into the dressing room at halftime, they were going to be cooling down and slowing down to an extent. And we knew that that's our moment, you know, based on the training where we would normally be picking the intensity levels up. Yeah, 
is it difficult as a coach or is it challenging to balance that between you're trying to push them somewhere but then like you mentioned about having empathy for where they're currently at and their expectations and how do you how do you balance that there as a leader i think the big thing is is the pre-season i think if you don't get a long pre-season and you don't get a a pre-season where everybody's available early and it's intensive and then you're able to marry the intensity levels to be able to develop the aerobic capacity also to be able to develop the detail around the game plan that everybody has time to reflect and develop and you know reflect again and, and that process continues over and over again i mean we uh, i think maybe we had a 16 week pre-season one of the years and so by the time you get close to you know playing in the national league at that stage um, you know, you're, you know you're ready and you know you're ready physically and you've got a, a, a solid grip on the game plan because there's nothing like playing good teams in competitive environment, you know, to, to test out what, what ultimately what you want to develop on the pitch. Yeah, let's move now off the pitch lately and go on now in your journey to Celtic and working with, starting with the younger players there and your role and you, the use of the psychological side of it. Was there a, was there an, uh, I suppose was there a target to improve the players off the pitch in terms of dealing with the pressure, lifestyle management, or how did you work around that? Uh, there was like I mean, a lot of the job was meeting them, uh, talking with them, sitting down, and and also when I went in there, I tried to put a system in place where we could sort of look more objectively at them from a from an analyst point of view, um, that they could reflect on their own performances, and that was based around video and data and stats, analytics at, at an individual level, a team level psychological uh, stuff in there as well to help them sort of, you know, understand where they're at and where they want to go to. And then trying to bring all that together into a, a platform that the coaches could use, the players could use, and that could facilitate the development of, a, of my conversations with them. And so that, that was really important. But a lot of the job with those kids is about managing expectation, you know. It's very difficult on them because you've got this situation where they're in the same environment as the first team. And the first team's driving up and then they're in their big cars and they've got their big contracts and it's all big games and the stadium's just down the road. And and they're so hungry to, to get there and to be part of that, you know. And so they're always waiting and waiting and waiting in this opportunity. And the reality is, you know, the opposite uh, is probably the best approach. You need to forget about the first team in many respects, uh, not the goal or the dream of it, but forget about it in the sense of I want to be there and just focus on where you're at now and sort of being absolutely the best that you can be every day because there's no doubt about it. Coaches talk and they talk every single day, you know, who's going well, who, you know, um, who's working hard, who's got the best attitude. And those things are as important as, you know, what they can do actually on the field to play. Now, you need the quality to play at the first team, but you also need the right mentality and, and the effort levels. And, you know, if you look at the guys that have come through, you know, Callum McGregor has come through the academy, James Forrest, uh, Kieran Tierney, Calvin Miller, uh, Anthony Ralston, they are all guys with a really, really, really top level mentality. And so when those kids were going over to train with the first team, they didn't really care if, it was, you know, if it was Scott Brown or anybody else in front of them, you know, whatever they needed to do on that given day, that's what they needed to do in terms of, um, you know, sort of being competitive and showing, showing their best. And then sometimes kids go over as well and they do really well and they're kept. And then they're kept for like three or four sessions and people are happy with them. And then they get this sense of that they've made it or that they're in, they're in a different environment now. And then they, they start to drift and they start to uh, drop back again. And that's a really tough spot uh, for young players to sort of, once they're sent back again, um, 
they've got to sort of start from scratch if you like and but but they know deep down that they had a chance there and maybe you know the, they would have dealt with it a different way if they got the second opportunity so you've got all these things and then that doesn't even include the outside factors and and, and agents in particular and you know trying to get them placed and you know you're not you're not getting a fair go at it and you're not getting a fair go at it but the reality is Nobody has an agenda against any player in any football club. If you're doing well and you're developing and you're trying to be the best that you can be, that's not lost in anybody. And so sometimes those outside voices don't help in many respects. You're just better keeping your head down, working hard, and people will see that over the period of time. Another coach there then, Brendan Rogers, that played a very up-tempo game in and out of possession. What were your observations watching him work? I mean, what a great person, first and foremost, you know, uh, was was really helpful to me. And, you know, when you reached out to me to do this, this is the type of thing that I like to do. You're, you're dealing with coaches, you know, trying to get information out there or sort of share experiences from, from a coaching point of view. And I always love that, you know, doing work for the FEI as well. Previously, you know, with pro license and A license and B license, you're in a room with coaches and you're always going to learn something yourself and you're developing yourself as well as engaging with people and and that, that's very big for Brendan and really big for Brendan. Many of the time he'd say to me, you know, just go and put some time in the diary there and you set the agenda and whatever you want to talk about it, uh, you know, we can we can put an hour or two aside. So uh, because he, he was that sort of in that situation himself, he was a young guy, got an injury, it stopped his career. Uh, and so he was getting his teeth into coaching at a high level from a very young age. You know, he had 10 years under his belt when he was in his mid-30s. And so... Uh, coach education is very, very important to him, and developing other people is very important to him. Like he would even sometimes, you know, when he would meet with the academy coaches in the club, he would say, "If you ever think of a really good drill, just leave it on my desk." And you, many of the time, you'd see him working on those things on the training pitch with the first team. If he just thought, you know, it added value and it was good, and we were all part of the Celtic family, if, if that makes sense. So very open, um, you know, very positive person. Um, very much attention to detail. Uh, you know, interestingly, like having worked with, with Ronnie Dahlia as well, um, very close in terms of philosophy, you know, very close. You know, they both probably wanted to play 4-3-3, you know, and that would be their preferred system in many respects. Uh, they wanted to keep the ball. They wanted to play in triangles. You know, they wanted to press the game high. All those things would be things that I would have heard both of the managers speaking about a lot. Uh, I think just the difference was just Brendan, um, just that level of detail, you know, that he goes into from all his staff, like everybody supporting the team, the analysts, you know, the scouts, his first team coaches um, themselves and himself. The players get a very, very detailed brief and a lot of clarity around what the job at hand is. And then he's always moving the goalposts, you know, which which will normally be plus one in the middle of the park regardless who they're playing, you know, if it's a 4-4-2, he's 4-4-3 and, and, and so on and so forth. And he always likes to have that extra body in the middle of the park to dominate possession because that's his philosophy. The pressing style, Ro Roger Schmidt, at, uh, he gave us a little bit of an insight to this the other day. It's fascinating. Can you talk about, you know, I suppose you talked about a philosophy of a coach there. Can you talk about, about what he wanted to achieve on the training pitch and, and how determined he was to get it? Uh, a bit like Brendan, like nothing was lost on the training pitch, um, but everything from Brendan's point of view is probably based around possession, whereas everything with Roger Smith was based around out of possession because we wanted to press the hell out of teams, you know, and uh, that was that was the number one thing. So 
every single exercise, I'd say 90% of the exercises were against the ball. Uh, and on the very first day, that started with like a, a seven by seven box um, and uh, a guy in the middle of it and two guys uh, on either side of it and the coach playing the ball. And, and down to the, the detail of where you should be standing, your angle of stance, your stance, one foot in front of the other, being able to react as soon as he is about to strike that ball, you're gone. Um, traveling with the ball, going all the way, make contact. You know, if I heard that once, I heard it a thousand times, make contact, which is not that common in football. You'll see people encouraging people to press, but not go all the way. And that, that would be, to my mind, very much closer to Gaelic than, 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 than soccer in terms of my experiences. And then he wanted to play deep all the time, but didn't know if he's seen a lateral pass, he would go crazy, absolutely crazy, deep, deep, deep. Whereas Brenton Rogers, I've often heard him saying, you know, a lateral, uh, a back pass is not a negative pass. We know what we want to do. We go back, we start, we rebuild again. And then it's all about the bodies in the middle of the park and keeping it and stretching it and forcing them to, to close the middle to get it out wide and then play from there, you know, from with really pacey wingers. So, you know, com two completely opposite philosophies, really, in many respects. That said, Brendan loves to press the game as well. But we were really about... Uh, sprinting and intensity and going all the way and if it didn't if it wasn't forced out over the sideline or back and then pressing the goalie and forcing them to kick it long it just wasn't good enough with, with Roger you know so every single exercise reflected that and um, and it was it was fascinating for me because the levels that I had seen this was like a couple of levels above that if you know what I mean and and then the heat out there is phenomenal in the summertime and so the capacity for the players to do it i was like you know is this possible and that is a question you know that coaches ask all the time you can't press the game for 90 minutes you know that's you know no matter what room you sit in with a with a group of coaches somebody will say that you know it just can't be done and players will say that as well and when i was doing one-to-ones with the players at celtic you know they would be they would be saying that as well you know he wants to press for the whole 90 minutes it's not possible you know but uh, it was proved to me in Beijing that it is possible. You know, if you're if you're recruiting athletes and you're recruiting people with the right attitude and the right mentality, and they know that they're coming into the club, and that's what most of their job is about, and that's a big thing. You know, that is a big thing. Are you going in to be a player? Or are you going in to be a cog on a wheel? That the number one criteria here is to be dynamic and explosive and aggressive. And when that ball goes out to that fullback, you know, the, the winger is gone, the six is in behind that, the nine is closing it off. And when the three of those movements happen within like three or four seconds and we force the ball. And so again, we're, we're back to philosophy here. We're back to what do you believe in? What are you hanging your hat on? And if that's not what you believe in, that's not overly important. But for us, it was absolutely everything in Beijing. Yeah, I want to stay with the the recruitment aspect of a of a good an athlete that can play that style, but maybe is not at the development stage anymore. Is an established professional, maybe doesn't want to do that kind of work. What would you in the recruitment policy and the recruitment conversations? How could you suss out whether this isn't a good fit for us? Can you can you get that in a conversation? I, absolutely, and I suppose this is where you know your scouting departments come in. This is where analytics come in. This is where GPS data comes in. This is where this becomes really, really important. Like, I mean, the best example I can give to you on that front would be the the Red Bull model um, all over the world. But I was with New York for a week. Uh, I done a club visit with them for a week, and um, and they talk about weapons that players have to have weapons. So if you don't have speed, then you don't have power. 
then you're not going to make it with the New York Red Bulls. And it's as simple as that. They don't sign anybody over 25. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that, you know, you've got to have phenomenal legs. And then they're looking to develop players uh, based on those weapons. And it's like there's different coaches out there for every philosophy. And there's and there's ma- and now there's managers, you know, clubs will recruit a possession based manager. And this is one of the things that was raised with a sports analytics company that I spoke with after um, was Frank DeBoer that was at uh, Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. And then he was sacked after four games. But he wanted to play Ajax total football and they had spent the last two seasons previous to that employing big, strong number nines that could hold the ball up. And, you know, it was, so philosophically, the, the, the squad wasn't a match for what the manager wanted to do. And that's really, really important. And so your recruitment becomes absolutely huge. And, and even when I was here, like that was one of the things that I really wanted to do that I wasn't able to do. I wasn't able to get the long preseason under the belt because of these issues. And then I wasn't able to get the the athletes through the door to play the game that I wanted to play, which was probably a mixture of what we were speaking about between Celtic and um, and Beijing, which was very intensive based on you know my own experiences with Donegal, very high intensity, high up the pitch, taking the game to the opposition, forcing the opposition, you know, overwhelming them hopefully to force them into mistakes. But yet, no, when you get the ball, be able to to play to play uh, intelligent, smart football. And so, um, so all those things are really important, and bringing all those things together into, you know, um, your conversations with with management, senior management at a team, in terms of, you know, so th- there's certain managers out there, and they just will never be a fit for Celtic Football Club. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And there's managers out there that will never be a fit for for New York Red Bulls, and that's just the reality, you know. And um, and so that's what it's all about: trying to cut through all that noise and just bring in players that you know want to work hard and sort of they know deep down in their heart that this is what has got them to this point in time in their career, if that makes sense. And so psychologically and physically, it feels like a good fit. And I think that part of it's really, really important. And we probably didn't have that with Donegal. We had a couple of guys who were considered lazy, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, And I had got a lot of uh, criticism and stick for that. And a lot of people said that they didn't love the jersey and they didn't respect the jersey, didn't work hard enough. But all those guys became the people that was leading the game plan over the course of, you know, the the four years. So it can be developed as well um, if you have the right mentality and and sort of an open approach to that. Yeah, managing that environment as well. Recruitment is, you might go into a club where there is a sports science department that wants to hold the players back and wants to rest and you want to push them. I mean, mm-hmm. how have you managed the science aspect in, in terms of your personal philosophy at the clubs? I I mean, I think you're totally right. And I think, you know, when we were done, when we were done, we pushed really, really hard, you know, but we had the natural days recoveries in between as well. We would have trained Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, but then you get natural days of recovery where they'd be doing gym work or upper body work. So you were able to go really hard all the time. In a professional environment, um, you know, most of my experiences was a four-day lead-in, strength, resistance, speed, and reactions. And so, you know, you only have one day there where you're going to be clocking up really, really big miles and, and training, and, and one day that it's going to be like a two-hour session. So it's more like 90, uh, two hours, 70, and, and then 45 to 60. So that goes back to the point I was speaking about earlier. You need the preseason under the belt. You know, you need a long preseason. You need double sessions. You need to build up that robustness and intensity level. And then it's just about maintenance. And then the games themselves are brilliant. And if you're pressing, playing a high pressing game, you're getting your workouts within the games. 
Uh, and so uh, if you're in a full-time schedule and it's a four-day lead-in, you know, and that's what you're working on, you need to have that, um, you need to have that work on the bank. Uh, last one for you, and then and I'll come in. Question I have about the the pro license, being around other coaches, different cultures. Uh, what sort of things have you picked up from different people? I uh, know absolutely great, and and to be fair, the the FAI have been great with me as well. You know, I, I know I mentioned Brendan there and the help that he gave me, but they like coming from another sport. It's it is a completely different world. You know, uh, from twenty twelve and going in going into Celtic, so you're starting from scratch. You're starting from the bottom of the ladder, and that's what I did. You know, the one day course, the two day course. You know, the the youth course, the B, the A, and then the pro. And my pro license was fantastic. I didn't get my pro license finished because at the Two of the blocks collided with games that we had here, and then we were trying to turn things around here. And I didn't feel it would be right to go back to do the the block. So I've still uh, I've still work to do on that front. Um, but the group that we had was fantastic, um, and Damien Duff and Keith Andrews that were in that group now have just joined um, the national team in terms of coaching staff. But there was loads of guys there, you know, and everybody was coming from a different perspective and great fun. Andy Reid, I know you had Andy on a couple of weeks ago there as well, maybe last week. Um, and so all those guys, you know, very humble uh, and very open. And I felt the same with myself, uh, even though, you know, in inverted commas, you could be considered an outsider mm. to the sport in many respects. Um, it wasn't like that at all. They were sort of tapping into my experiences and, and you try to give a bit back yourself in terms of your experiences. So it was great. And I'm looking forward to, to um, sort of getting back involved in that come September, October time again. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you, Jim. First class. Okay. And that's going to jump on now if he's there. There he is. A few questions from the crowd. Yeah. Uh, Jim, um, what from high level uh, GA coaching have you taken over to your to, to the soccer coaching side of it? I think I think what I would say in that is, you know, and it's a question I'm asked all the time, to be honest with you. But the bottom line is people are people. And I think the big thing, you know, when you're working with players is, you know, um, what do they want? You know, they want a professional environment. You know, they want respect. You know, they want uh, professionalism to the training. Uh, they want to feel sort of part of the conversation. You know, they want to be developed. They want to know that the game plan is smart and intelligent and works and that they have a place in it. And so if you've got all those things, those are the basis of, of the conversations that, that, that you're going to have with them, you know. And then from a psychological point of view, people will talk about autonomy, autonomy competence and relatedness. And that, for me, they, those things for me are very important as well. And so, you know, pushing back on players and sort of getting them to think about the team as well as as their team, you know, that they're running the team, that they're sort of pushing boundaries and developing boundaries as well as the coaching staff is important. Um, and then the competence one is about, you know, for me, simple exercises done at a very high intensity level. And so you're constantly creating this sort of positive feedback loop, you know, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, not just that, we can do it really fast and with a lot of intensity with a with a minimum amount of mistakes. And so over a period of time, um, and I know, you know, I've, I've got um, a friend at Liverpool and he would say that to me as well, that Jurgen Klopp doesn't overcomplicate training and doesn't have a huge amount of training variety. And, you know, he does different exercises, but it's the same principles and, they'll, they'll you know, they'll do a, a 5v2 or a you know a 4v1 every single day for 10 or 15 minutes for training and so he's reinforcing those principles and there's a simplicity there's an understanding there 
and people get really, really, really good at it. And, uh, you know, and that builds, builds their confidence. And then the relatedness part is, you know, how we relate to each other, how you relate to the players, how they relate to the staff, the supporters, the club, all those things are very, very important. And if that, you know, if there's a connection there or if you work hard in that connection, people really sort of appreciate that because they feel this sense of um, that the coach, the coach has an interest in me. He wants to know more about me, wants to know more about my family life. He wants to help me develop and, and different aspects and um, and all those things, you know, together. Doesn't matter what the sport is. To be honest with you, whether it's basketball or you know baseball or soccer, it doesn't really matter. Gaelic football, and um, those are the types of things. Um, and psychological speak, they're they're known as basic psychological needs. And even just in a normal job, you know, whether it's business or anything else, you know, if you're if if you've got the boss and he's standing over the top of you, you know, you feel under pressure all the time. You know, if he's fair with you and he's tough with you, but he's giving you the chance to, you know, go and do things and, and be autonomous, you know, you feel, you know, that you're more in control of your own destiny and you get more out of the job. So all these things um, are, 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 are really important no matter what the, the environment is. Yeah. Jim, so you played, uh, obviously we all know you had a great inter-county career and, and management before you took over uh, the senior setup at Donegal. Um how do you feel your education, uh, obviously your, your undergraduate uh, degrees and your master's degrees, how do you think them played a role in, in your coaching uh, style or, or implementation? Huge, absolutely huge. Um, just even from a confidence point of view, you know, I left school when I was 15 um, and I went back into adult education when I was 23 with Donegal, so three or four years after we won the All-Ireland, which is a tough thing to do. Um, but the best decision that I've ever made in my life, you know, and uh, I kind of always felt that there was something missing in my life and I always felt that I wanted to work in sport. And, you know, in order to do that, you needed an education and I surprised myself then with me leaving cert and, uh, and then went to Tralee on the back of that and started a sports course there. And, and I always tell the story on the very first day, um, you know, I got there and I was going in the door and I just turned and I said, this is not for me. And I, w- I was turning to my and I was going home. And a friend of mine, a guy called Joe Dunn from Westmead, he turned us, he says, you sport science? And I said, yeah. And he says, I think we're in here in this lecture hall. And I followed him in and that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was how fine the line was, you know, because because I didn't have what I felt was the same level as the kids coming through that were tech savvy and so forth. Um, and so then that took me to Jordanstown. And then again, you have the same apprehensions because you're going to do university dynamic. And then on the back of that, I was getting sort of stronger mentally and then I went away and done my master's in, in Liverpool. So all those processes were all equally as tough, if you like, because, you know, you were getting better and stronger as an individual, but the level was being raised every single time. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that I would have been able to be the manager that I w- was or am on the back of not having those sort of um, sports qualifications under my belt. I think knowing where you are, theoretically as well as applied as is, is, can be really helpful in difficult situations yeah um so man management jim within the ga um how similar is man management in the ga uh, managing inter-county to, to to soccer is is it is it the same is is there differences across the board like how, how have you felt um the transition has gone with that no, I think the, the answer that I gave earlier in terms of the autonomy, competence and related for me is, is the foundational blocks for, for man management, to be honest with you. Um, there is there is dynamic differences in the sense that, you know, in Gaelic football players aren't getting paid. 
And so they're there because they want to be there. And they're there because they want to play for their county. And, you know, I grew up and that's the only thing that I wanted to do was play for Donegal. That's the only thing that was in my mind. And so that's the dynamic that you get into the environment. That's the dynamic you bring to training every single night. Um, and the reason the fellas got into soccer is the, the very same reasons. The difference is it's their profession. And so you only have a window to, you know, to to make as much money as you can in many respects and to move your career from position to position to, to get the most out of it. So the different forces come to play on the player, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's why, you know, um, good leadership and within organizations is so important. The, you know, good, um, good agents more than anything else to direct them and keep them on track. And, you know, when things are tough, it's, it's, it is tough. It's a really tough spot. I mean, look, of 250 kids in the maybe one out of the 250 kids, you know, at the end of the year coming. So that'll end up in 20 at, at on 20 level. One of them might get a contract. So it's 250 to one in many respects every year. Like, and it's, it's so the numbers are stacked against you, which means there are going to be a lot of tough times. And to sort of navigate your way through that and stay positive and stay focused isn't easy when you don't feel things are going right. And then sometimes you look and you look at a peer. And they are getting a chance and you're thinking, well, I can do this and I can do that and he can't do that. And they start comparing themselves and really it, that's the wrong approach as well. So again, we're back to the start of the conversation. That's managing expectation with young players and managing expectation with senior players and trying to, a big part of the job, I think, is trying to clear the decks and just refocusing them on what's important. What, what got them there? You know, what's your biggest strengths? And let's go back to those and let's just not have any more than five or six of those things to focus on for the next four to six weeks. And, and let's just put all our energy into that. And a lot of the time, that's all they need to reconnect with sort of what got them there in the first place. Yeah. Jimmy, growing up, uh, you know, obviously in, in Ireland, uh, playing multiple sports, you know, hurling, football, soccer, rugby, uh, basketball, handball, whatever it may be. There's a, there's a big talk these days about kids focusing uh, solely on on one sport, maybe from a from a younger age. And uh, what is your thoughts on that? You know, of, of kids just being told maybe or pushed to to focus on on soccer from this age or or rugby at this age. You know, what, what what's kind of your your thoughts on all of that? I well, I mean, there is science behind that. And again, one of the things we would have studied going through college, um, Estaf Bali was the guy that sort of developed this long term athlete development model. And it, it depends on the sport, to be honest with you. If you're playing snooker, that's a close skill. And, uh, you know, to focus on that and specialise, that's probably the right thing to do. Uh, if you're playing Gaelic football and you're also playing basketball and you're also playing soccer and you're also playing rugby, let's say, um, that's going to complement the ABCs of athletics, the, the basics of athletics, you know, and ha hand-eye coordination, movement patterns. Like if you think of basketball and you think, wait, I played a lot of basketball growing up, you know, when you think of basketball and I played point guard because I was really small in first year in secondary school uh, and then I just shot up within about 18 months. Um, so if you're playing point guard in basketball, like all the games behind you, you know, the ball's in front of you, but then all the games behind you, the movement's behind you. So you're, you're, you're scanning and screening and looking behind you. And so the mental intensity levels to play in that position are really, really, really high. And so that's going to be, there's going to be a crossover there between that and sort of peripheral vision and, and, and mental intensity in Gaelic football as you move forward. So, um, you know, what Bali would have said would be, you know, 13, 14 years of age, that would be the time where, you know, all those other skills, that hand-eye coordination, those advantages that you get from other sports um, would peak. 
and then it's maybe smart then to just focus on one and just decide what you want to do and go with that, you know. And then the other thing is the world has changed and the demands in younger players are much more now. You know, you could do one night a week, two nights a week, and then one or two nights a week with somebody else. But now it's like three or four nights a week, even with younger players. Um, and so the opportunities become become less. But that doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, any tactical concepts, Jim, from the GA that you were able to take over to soccer, like, you know, from a tactical standpoint uh, that would kind of translate it over, do you think? Uh, well, I think the, the big thing for me would be uh, kickouts in many respects, you know, and kickouts in Gaelic football, that is, that's where a lot of emphasis is placed. And that's the one, if you look at the stats over the last number of years, that's where most goals are scored from because teams now are really well set up de defensively and they can get into defensive shape really quickly and they can defend really well. And so it gives you a moment, a transitional moment that's like free, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so uh, the kickout in Gaelic is really, really big. Whereas in soccer, um, I think it's more about protecting yourself in kickouts and you'll see that, you know, the ball will go out, it'll go over the back four, it'll probably go over the midfield three and then the other, the nine will contest it, the winger will contest it and then the rest of them are looking for that second ball, get on it and maybe look to, to play it through. Whereas I think, you know, a lot more can be done and you can't be offside from a kickout either. You know, what would happen if you put two full forwards in a, rug, in a soccer pitch and you played them up on the edge of the box, what what would the opposition do in that situation? I think that would be an interesting one. You know, you're absolutely going to have three defenders back. You're probably going to have a guy sitting in front of that. So that's four. And then you could have the rest, you know, um, picking up the pieces to develop the play in, in your own half. So these are the types of things, I think, that, you know, on kickouts um, and throw-ins as well, you can't be offside. There's, there's loads of variations there that I think, you know, could be implemented. But, um, I mean... Soccer is so well analysed and so well developed as a, as a sport in the world. There's very little that hasn't been thought of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, so in terms of my experiences in Gaelic, maybe that's one thing. And it's just about focus. And, and so our focus would have been on trying to score goals and kickouts. Um, and I think there is something there that sort of, there's something there that could be brought across. Yeah, it's great. Um, so obviously, Jim, massive highs winning All Ireland with with Donegal. I mean, it, how was it to, and how did you come to the 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 decision to obviously move away from the GA, you know, into soccer? And how was the move then into soccer with Glasgow Celtic? Obviously, uh, was it an easy transition? You know, was it tough to to walk away? Obviously, after that that you know massive year for Donegal. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I took the job for four years, and then. When we won it in 2012, and, and Dermot Desmond, the owner of Celtic, asked me to come across, um, and he and he put that uh, olive branch out to me. Uh, I remember myself and Yvonne going up to Dublin to meet him, and 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 having the cheek to ask him, would it be okay to go part time for for a couple of years? Um, you know, because I was so psychologically wedded to the players, and we were so close as a group that it, you know I, I would have found it almost impossible you know, just to step away after those two years. And I, and I also feel that there is this natural, and you see this with Pep Guardiola all the time, you know, it's three years, maybe four years max, and he wants to go and he wants to move. Maybe the voice becomes a wee bit blunt, you know, maybe he becomes a bit blunt himself, you know, and so the capacity to sort of revitalize things, you know, and I think there is a window where, you know, you, you get the opportunity to go in, develop, 
you know, build systems, and then you have this window then maybe of two seasons after that where the whole thing is taken over the way you want it to. And then, you know, regardless, I think it's human nature that, the, that you know, change sort of becomes inevitable. So for me, that four-year cycle, I, I felt that I would almost be ready for it then anyway, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that still doesn't mean that I wasn't nervous asking the question. <laughs> but uh, in fairness... Um, in fairness, Dermot said no problem right away, which was great, and that gave me the chance to, to work with the players and, and do both, you know. And then when I went over there, uh, I wasn't going straight into the football side of it in a way. I was going in on the psychological side of it and, and observe, observing a lot, observing a lot of football and trying to study the game and learn the game because, you know, the difference between watching soccer and coaching soccer, particularly at a higher level, is, is just through the roof, you know. So for me, um, you had to go back to the very, very first rung of the ladder as I mentioned earlier there and trying to tap into as many people as possible, talk to as many people as possible, travel as much as possible, see different clubs train and, and experience managers and, and just watch a lot of football. Yeah. Um ones on, on fitness here, um people are asking, do you think an early preseason um can lead to burnout or like too much of an intense preseason? And then obviously how much fitness and the percentage of fitness would you uh, would you be looking at if you wanted a high press uh, with a team? Um, yeah. So. See, burnout's a really interesting one for me, you know, because uh, burnout, is it a physical or is it a psychological? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's people pushing their boundaries as hard as they can, like Ronaldo, for example. Uh, you know, he's been he's been going as hard as he can possibly go since he was 16 years of age. And that doesn't look like it's it's abating, you know, Nadal and the tennis, probably the same. His body breaks down sometimes, you know, yeah. because because he's such a physical player. But I mean, he don't try and tell me that they feel burned out. They feel as hungry as ever before. And so I think if you get the right culture in place and people are there and they want it, they want to be there. And they also see that there's a chance of being successful. I don't think that that is an issue. But I think if people um, feel that it's too physical and it's, um, you know, see, one of the things for me is, I think anyway, is, you know, there's a difference between pushing people or, or you know, this whole thing about like, you know, when a lot, there was a lot of stuff in the media about Donegal when I was managing. And it was almost like we had the whip out and we were whipping the boys. And, you know, that couldn't have been further from the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. We pushed them harder than anybody like that I could have imagined. You know, but yeah. in, a, in a way where we were joining the dots between that and what we wanted to do in the pitch. And when they seen the trade-off in the pitch and they say, you know, we couldn't do that other than what the work that we were doing. You know, people bought into it 100%. And every night in training with Donegal, was, it was a joy. Like, it was an absolute privilege to be in the pitch because you had 30 guys and all they wanted to do was empty everything that they had in their body out onto that pitch and walk gate knowing that they were one or two percent further up the the ladder than they were before they went in and that is an amazing place to be you know and so there is no burnout in that situation you know there is there, it's not a part of the process but if it's if it's negative and you're negative with them and you're just getting the whip out in them because you know because you're and this does happen unfortunately and particularly it does happen with with youth players as well like you know people are very hard on them and they only say something when they make a mistake you know, and that's wrong. You know, every single time somebody does something positive, you should be saying, good work, brilliant, excellent, good, keep it going. And keeping that, you know, energy levels up. Whereas I find a lot of times, you know, watching training sessions, you see a dynamic where you'll have a coach and he'll be standing there, be watching an under 12. 
and and you know nothing is said, and then they drop the ball and say, "Come on, cut out the mistakes," and you know, and and that's wrong. And so, all that type of interactive stuff between the coach and the player, and the overall sort of concept of connecting it to the game plan, to me, equals or does it equal burnout? And if you feel that you're under pressure or underappreciated, and you're just being driven into the ground, you know. Because that's this is what the manager thinks, right? And here's another one for you. You know, you they play a bad game, and then oh, well, we're going to run you tomorrow. I mean, that's wrong. I yeah. mean, there's no way that that can be a positive in any of the players' minds, and that's not going to help you as a manager uh, down the line. You know, the running should have been done before the game, yeah. And the talking is done after the game. So these are the types of things for me that are all really psychological and and all really important to get right if you want to develop a culture within your club. Yeah, and the percentage of time on fitness, if you want to press, like so, you know, you talked about the coaches that influenced you that that were pressing teams. What what percentage of time would they have spent on fitness to kind of to kind of get the pressing right, or, or was that something they even did? No, I think it's a fair question. I think it would like going back to my own experience with Celtic with Neil Lennon and Ronnie and and Brendan. Um, there would have been. Almost the same approach in terms of, you know, and well, this is an interesting one as well. You know, a lot of the big clubs now will retain the same staff. Um, and then so there's this kind of continuity whenever uh, a new manager will come in, he'll come in with his own technical staff, but a lot of the support people are there. So a lot of the systems are in place. That's when Brendan Rogers came in, he took Glenn, Glenn Driscoll in with him. And he was, he was, I would say, very manic about preparation and about numbers and about uh you know the percentage of high intensity running that was done and um and they had a very clear vision of what that they wanted to achieve every single day without he would you know i remember having a conversation with glenn in the canteen one day saying you know we were probably 200 meters over and in high intensity running because there was a there was a game where they didn't finish well in the last 20 minutes and he felt that they, they fatigued earlier than normal because you have to remember Celtic you're playing 50 games a year you know it's 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 Monday Wednesday uh, Saturday or Sunday every weekend basically you know um well a lot of weekends um and so you've got to get that aspect of it right and uh, I mean if you're coaching in the League of Ireland let's say and it's it's Friday 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 it's a different thing you know yeah. you probably could go harder at it uh for longer earlier in the week and then taper down and then sort of, you know, it's like a mini, a mini cycle every single week, um, even a mini pre-season cycle every single week, whereas the other dynamic is about getting that pre-season under your belt and then being very, very smart in terms of how you manage the players, you know, thereafter. Yeah. Jim, what coach or coaches uh, intrigue you today? I mean, what, who do you, who do you kind of, who are you intrigued with? Are they all football managers? Are they GA managers? Like who intrigues you? Uh, being honest with you, everybody, um, you know, there's there's a story popping up every day and there's 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 certain things that inspire you. You know, it could be a, a kid in a high school story. It could be, you know, a high school coach. It could be NFL. It could be Gaelic football. Um, you know, Brian Cody, to me, was a guy when when they were winning all those All-Irelands. I thought he was ruthless about yeah. winning All-Irelands. You know, that they could put it to bed so early afterwards and refocus. And that is a phenomenal trait. Uh, the same as is expected at Celtic. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you have a celebration, the celebration's over. You're expected to win the following year. And, and that sort of creating that mentality is really, really important, I think. On the football thing, obviously, you know, what Pep Guardiola has done has been amazing. What 
um, Jurgen Klopp is doing is amazing and, and continues to do is amazing with Roger Schmidt. That style of play that we were talking about, Simeone, uh, Marcelo Bielsa, you know, there's a lot of top, top quality coaches that sort of approach the thing differently uh, and take different sort of steps to get their players to the same place, you know. Um, but they're all offering something that I connect with and I think that's that's what it's about, isn't it? You'll see people that, that from a philosophical point of view that that's the way I would like my team to play and you'll see certain things and certain managers, certain coaches um, that they're looking to instill in their players that connects with you and so for me, those guys would be... Um, would be important. And when we were on the pro license, remember, you know, we we were doing this reflective session one, one night and one of the coaches just asked um, Damien Duff, you know, like we're all here, you know, you've won premierships, you know, uh, you've worked with uh, Jose Mourinho. Uh, what was he like? You know, and, and, and that was a great sort of a moment, you know, to get the sort of what went on behind the dressing room door for us, you know, with Damien. And he's very candid about, you know, about Jose and sort of his, his man management and, and how he dealt with him. And he felt he could just, he would just um, do anything, you know, run through a brick wall for him. And so, um, so those types of things, you know, are, are all good learning, I think. And those types of conversations with people, when you can get into them, sort of are really beneficial to yourself as a person. Yeah. Jim, you mentioned the, the pro license there. Um, what coaching course have you done that's probably been the most eye-opening for you um, in your career? Um, probably the A, I would imagine, because there's more, much more coaching in the, in the A, um, and in the pro, the, there's less because it's more about management. It's about it's more about uh, you know dealing with boards, dealing with directors, you know players, budgets, all those type of things become really important because you're at the last step before you're going into that environment. So there's much more of that on the course. Um, so the A's, like you know, it's it's all coaching, um, and so that was that was really enjoyable. Yeah. So obviously, Jim, going from GA to soccer, uh, what do you, what do you miss most about the GA? I think we all, uh, you know, anyone that's come from Ireland and and grew up in GA and and's gone into a different sport, you know, you know, we all we all watch it, we all followed. What what do you miss most yourself about uh, being involved in the GA? Um, I I would still say I miss playing, <laughs> in the sense that. Um, the camaraderie in, in a dressing room, you know, is is so hard to beat. And you know, having that as a player, it's just it's just the best place that you could be in your life, to be honest with you. And when you retire, that's that's really tough. And see guys that retire that don't get into coaching, I would say there's a there's a huge void. And I was very fortunate, you know, with the Donegal team that I took over because I played with most of them. So I kind of had a bit of both. You know, I was able to have the crack with them and slag, you know, and and vice versa. I mean, I wasn't um, I wasn't excluded from any of that. I can assure you from a lot of the guys that I played with, uh, and 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 you know that's that's a big part of it. Like you do miss that you do miss that side of it, and um, and so if you get a good culture and you get a good environment, and people are you know they're enthusiastic and they're happy to be there, uh, you can get a you can get a lot out of it for your for yourself and for your own for your own sort of uh, well being. Yeah, it's great, Jim. Last one, um, last one for me. Um... In your time working with teams, uh, how did you leverage uh, leadership among the players? Like, how did you, how did you make, how did you get your players to, to buy in to to achieve the goals you were looking to do? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, um, I think a leadership group is really important. Um, I think, you know, 
I always talk about the one third rule, you know, and there's one third of players that are really highly motivated, one third in the middle, and there's one third that probably need to kick up the backside um, at the start of a season. And um, and if you get the right leadership, you know, with with your key players and you get them on board and they're driving processes, you create this dynamic where the manager's saying it, you know, the, the coaches are saying it, uh, the senior influencers are saying it, and all of a sudden, you know, the one third in the middle move to the higher bracket and then the, the lower bracket probably move to the middle and then you've got a high performance team, high performing team. And so for me, the, you know, leadership is really important and and opening up conversations as well. I mean, you know, we had things, you know, with Donegal, simple things where, you know, they would design the kit. They're wearing it, you know what I mean? But they're, you know, so why wouldn't they have that wee bit of ownership of that situation? You know, at times we would talk about hotels and where they wanted to stay in hotels. We we give them the choice before the All-Ireland final between two you know, high-profile hotels and the one we thought they would have took, they didn't, took the other one because they were happier with the staff and enjoyed staying there more. And so these are the types of things where you can sort of, you know, open the thing up for them. Then plan, you know, sitting down with them and talking about games and analysing games and studying games and opening up the room and getting everybody's opinion and getting them into groups and work and all those types of things mean that it's not just sort of, you know, my way or the highway, it's 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 us and we're all in this together and the only thing that's driving us is to try and make the thing better. And I think that's that that's ultimately the most important thing. And so when you've got when you've got guys um, you know, that are senior and that are quality players and they're behind you and you know it's coming out of your mouth and then it's coming out of their mouth it makes the whole process a lot easier you know fantastic well jim that's uh, that's me going to sign off here i'm going to pass you over to uh john o'rourke but uh, it was a, it was a pleasure to, to chat to you today thanks enda no bother jim i'm left with the hard questions at the end <laughs> um one question coming in from one of our, our coaches was 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 there any main differences in man management you felt you had to adapt to going from different cultures, uh, Glasgow, Beijing, and obviously USA? No, I don't think so. I think for all the things we were speaking about previously, I think that you know um, it's about it's about culture, obviously, and it's about what kind of culture you want to develop. It's about the people you bring in. You know, positivity for me is really important in, in staff. And then that filters down through the players and then trying to bring in good good guys, good players with the right attitude, with the right mentality. So all the things we've been speaking about previously, I think they're all the things, regardless of where you know where I've been or, or where I'm going to be, those are the things that are important. Excellent. Another one would be uh, picking an, an assistant. Is it a personal friend? Somebody you may or may not may not may not be qualified, but gives you that confidence when you're working with players. So bringing in somebody that you trust, is that is that what you do when you're coaching? Is that what you would recommend going forward? Or I think that's really, yeah, no, I do. I think that's really important. Um, I think you know having a personal relationship is is really really important, and and that that can be difficult uh, to get the, that person. You know, somebody that that you have the relationship with, but also somebody you know who's good enough, uh, and getting that 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 balance right. Um, and so yeah, no, for sure. I mean, but not just in your number two. Like, I think it's in everybody. You know, everybody that comes in has to add value. They've got to be professional and they've got to be, you know, empowered, you know, whether it's the head of medical or anybody else, empowered to drive those processes to the highest level possible and, you know, to be responsible for that as well in terms of in terms of output. And if you can get good people that are driving the, their own area, 
that frees you up then to oversee and then you know hopefully spend more time with the players excellent last question jim and probably one of our, our favorite questions every week we, we save to ask it uh, what would a young jim mcginnis what advice would he give to himself oh that is a good question um um a young jim mcginnis well you see i have to clarify that by saying when i was young <laughs> uh, i was a terrible loser terrible loser and when i lost i couldn't take it and i couldn't abide it and uh, i got so frustrated and annoyed and stuff and as i've grown and as i've developed and matured and with my education as well and just just experiences <coughs> as a manager i've become better at losing and the reason for that is um is because my experience you know over the last 25 years or 30 years in sport is if you try and cover all the bases and you do everything to the best of your ability and you prepare the team to the best of your ability and you ask everything that you can ask of them in the preparation phase and you give them as much information as possible then you know you get into that environment and if you lose you know you lose and sometimes you just lose to a better team you know you play dublin uh, and GA at the minute, you know what I mean? You have to be just hitting every single level on that day to beat them on a, on a given day, if that makes sense. And so if you know, if you can look in your own heart and say, we couldn't have done any more, we, we've, we've emptied it out every night, we've, we've done as much detail in the game plan as possible, people knew what their jobs were, and we executed, and we just came out on the wrong side of the result. You can, I can live with that. Whereas probably years and years and years ago, I wasn't ticking all the boxes and I wasn't doing all the right things. And then when we lost, then I was angry and frustrated, but probably more so of myself, you know, and not, not even really knowing why. And so the chance to reflect and to think about preparation, to think about performance and to think about game plan, those are the most important things. And so that would be the advice that I probably would give to myself as a, as a younger man would be to be, to be, um, to be as detailed as possible and to prepare my teams as to the best of my ability. And then so you can, in, in many respects, you can sleep a wee bit easier because you know that you've done the right thing. Excellent. There's a few questions coming on here. When are you coming back to Donegal GAA? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, it is a good question. <laughs> Nobody knows where they're going at the minute. The, the, the whole the, the world has changed. The doves are saying, stay away. We don't want you back. <laughs> I, I doubt that very much. <laughs> Jim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. I know it's valuable at this time. And uh, it's been great listening to you. Great insight Thanks, on a lot of topics. Um, we thank you again for your time. Best luck to everybody. Thanks so much to Jim for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, we had another 20 minutes with Jim before the interview on the, I think it was the Tuesday, myself, um, and uh, John O'Rourke, and Agreehan, John O'Rourke and myself, and it was, it was like another podcast. I wish I could have put that one out as well. Uh, phenomenal insight just in, in terms of the, the level of detail and what he's talking about in those environments between Roger Schmidt's training, Brendan Rogers' training, how Jim facilitates, as he said, there's a lot of words that are used today that we we don't probably question enough as coaches and then you get the generalizations and they become just words rather than actions and things like intensity things like culture things like development are 
used a lot today but when Jim talks about it you can see that the passion the belief he has in it it's easy to see how his leadership style has been so successful so there was an unbelievable response to that podcast and and what jumped out to everyone in, in my conversations with him was that element of the environment and how that environment is going to be built and how important it is for the leader to I suppose communicate all these values and live all these values as well with the with not just the passion but also the quality in their work and the quality in as Jim says there the the science the recruitment connecting everything together I thought that was phenomenal insight so I've listened to that a couple of times myself and I've I've taken a few notes it's uh, really really enjoyed it so we'd love to hear what you think at Gary Kareen on Instagram at Gary Kareen on Twitter please stay safe have a great week and goodbye thank you. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.